A minute of shame. Really? I still don't understand why Satan is one big, long, like, region for your asshole finger. I don't know. He's like, uh, have you ever seen the, the eye eyes? It's like that animal. Oh, okay. I thought you were, like, making a computery term. Computer term? <laughs> you know, computery stuff. I I. You know, source code I I. <laughs> AI? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He's just here now. He's hanging out. That's Maybe we'll start collecting stuff. Ooh, you know what? That would be fun if we if we get like um, people big enough. People like send us stuff. Yeah, I hope so. In the mail, we can like have Fan unboxing mail. videos and then just like deck out deck out this room. I'd love that. That'd be great. Are we recording? Yeah, we are. Oh, Kalidokli. You don't have to ask it every time. You can probably just assume it. I didn't know. Well, it doesn't matter. This is how we normally talk. It's live. They're loud enough so the microphone can hear. That's how we always talk. <laughs> Today. Are you ready to take it away? I am so ready to take it away. Instead of Brendo over there getting all the spotlight, all the sunshine, I am going to be discussing the curious case of a one Alphonse Capone. Alphonse. Oh, that's his real name. His real name is Alphonse Capone. You can put your feet back up. I'll be over here. And he was born on January 17th in 1899. 1899, damn. Yeah. You don't think he's... Yeah. Yeah. Yo Capone's home was far from Sablarius, which means it was not a good home. (laughs) He basically (laughs) lived in a little tiny-ass tenement. It was was like a slum near this navy yard. Okay. It was a real tough place, and he was given over to the vices sought by sailor characters, you know. What? You know how sailor characters would come around and be like, hey, kid, do you want to make a few extra bucks? And he was like, yeah, okay. And then they'd have him, you know, do sailor jobs. I don't know what that means. That's what I wrote down. Sailor jobs. Given over to the vices sought by sailor characters that frequented the surrounding bars. So he was just hanging out in bars. Same. The the family was actually a regular law-abiding, just noisy Italian-American family. And there were, like, very few indications that Al Capone would venture into a world of crime and become public enemy number one. Certainly the family's move to a more ethnically mixed area of the city exposed the young Capone to wider cultural influences, no doubt equipping him with the means to run a notorious crime empire. Excuse me, are you writing a book here? I didn't write this. You just copied it? Pretty much. It's from biography.com. I cut out some parts, though, because they were far too much detail, and I want to keep this shorter as I can here. Are you going to make it last 42 minutes? Of course I can. You see how many pages I got here? I got a manifesto. All right. Anyway, you know, he moved to a more ethnically mixed area. I think it was in Chicago that he lived in. But yeah. uh, Capone's yeah. schooling was inadequate and brutal. <laughs> It was this Catholic institution that was just riddled with violence. So as and they normally just, are. Yeah, they used to beat kids all the time, and it really fucked up Capone. What changed? Um, I think laws happened, where they were like, maybe don't beat up kids, and teachers were like... like, verbally beating them up is okay. Yeah, I don't know. Back then, you could just beat the shit out of a kid, yeah. and that was just part of life. <laughs> you ain't getting the shit kicked out of you, you're doing it wrong. He was kid. actually a really promising student, but then they oh. beat the shit out of him in the end. He was expelled at the age of 14 for hitting a female teacher and never went back. Same. <laughs> It was then that Capone met gangster Johnny Torrio. <laughs> this guy is going to come up a lot. Johnny Torrio. Which would prove the greatest influence on the would-be gangland boss. He taught Capone the importance... Gangland? 
Gangland. You know the whole Chicago area that he was hanging out in? I never heard anyone call it Gangland. Me neither. It sounds like a really (laughs) shitty board game. Uh, Torio taught Capone the importance of maintaining a respectable front. You know, you always feel like, I want respect. I give it, you get it, you know? Yeah. It's a big Italian thing, too. I don't know why. (laughs) Because respecting people? Isn't that weird? We flowed pretty good from Leonardo da Vinci until another Italian dude. Oh, yeah, the worst Italian dude ever. <laughs> from the best Italian dude to the, the worst. Yeah. He was a pretty good guy, though. Like Capone wasn't that bad. He wasn't. Yeah. We'll get into him. Torrio taught Capone the importance of maintaining a respectable front while running and racketeering a business, you know, as I said. Racketeering? They kind of slightly built Torrio. He kind of represented, like, a new dawn in the criminal enterprise. Damn. Because it was kind of a dull area before Torrio showed up. And then all of a sudden, it was just crime riddled, just because him and this gang. He called them the the gang was called Johnny Torrio's James Street Boys Gang, which is a very long name. It is. You're right. And well, and uh, back when Capone was a part of this gang, he got into a fight in this brothel slash saloon. A young kid slashed Capone with a knife or razor right across his left cheek. <laughs> right across his left cheek. And that earned him the nickname Scarface. Yeah. Okay, so that's where the scar came from then. Yeah. He's gotten to a knife fight as a kid. And that's why they call him Scarface. Torrio moved from New York to Chicago in 1909 to help run the giant brothel business there. So Chicago, big brothel business. Huge. <laughs> Gotta make it big in Chicago. With if you move brothels. from New York to Chicago, Chicago's smaller at the time. Yeah. But it had way more prostitutes. <laughs> so I guess that's good. <laughs> Uh, it was rumored that Capone or his brother... Oh, no, not his brother. That's a different Frank. Everyone in Italy is named Frank. It was rumored that Capone or Frankie Yale killed Big Jim Colissimo, Torrio's boss. Big so, Jim Colissimo? Yeah. These... Colossimo. <laughs> Even worse than <laughs> Colissimo. <laughs> so that made Torrio the new boss of the city. He basically ruled over Chicago at this point. We just need, like, a podcast on just the names of Chicago people. <laughs> Some of these are really great. And this is about when uh, Prohibition era of Chicago began. Yeah. The new bootlegging operations opened up, and it yeah. drew immense wealth. Like, these guys were getting super rich just from importing whiskey was the big thing they were importing. In 1925, Torrio retired, and Capone became crime czar of, Ch- czar. Crime czar of Chicago. He was doing a lot of dumb shit at this point. Like, he really ramped up. Because he's That's still- in biography.com? Oh, no, I'm editorializing. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what? Sorry. Basically, what I'm doing is I'll read one solid sentence, then I'll just improv off it based on my previous knowledge. Okay. So it's not just a boring speech. I thought so. So Capone, he starts running gambling, prostitution, and bootlegging rackets and expanding his territories by gunning down of rivals and rival gangs. Mm-hmm. So anyone who even is like, oh, maybe we shouldn't, he shoots. He had a brief hiatus where he married a middle-class Irish girl named May Coughlin. Coughlin? No, May Coughlin. That's it. That's a better name, I guess. <laughs> Still not good, but it's a better name. just caught out of that all. And settled down as a bookkeeper for a little bit. So, yeah, he, was actually, he wasn't in the crime for that year. Or actually, it was, it was two years, yeah. He was soon to return working for his old boss, Johnny Torrio, in Chicago. It's believed that the unexpected death of Capone's father was a personal turning point for him. Which it definitely was. Because as soon as his father died, he dropped being a bookkeeper. He was like, fuck this. I want vengeance. And he just started killing people. 
This sounds. I don't know why that's funny, but it's just, <laughs> just like fuck bookkeeping. I've been just killing people. And yeah, he shit. was. You can't go from racketeering, prostitutes, and alcohol to like being a bookkeeper. Nah, fam. You got the taste for the better life. Capone always traveled, basically always traveled under the cover of night, risking travel by day only when he had to, because he was a big name at this point. That's the thing about Capone. Most criminals are kind of like they don't want to be found. Capone was like Donald Trump. He's just, he wants everyone to know everything about him. He was even sandwiched between bodyguards when traveling by car. So at all times he has bodyguards if he's even around in the daytime. Which is just crazy. I'll be, instead of, I think it was 1930 now? Yeah, 30. Is when, uh, instead of being, working for Torrio, he became his partner. So they're equal partners at this point. Okay. And there, he took over as the manager of the Four Deuces, Torrio's headquarters in Chicago. <laughs> the Four Deuces. These names are bombing. Yeah, Capone does not have great names for his shit. Torrio's headquarters in Chicago's Levy area. The Four Deuces served as a speakeasy gambling joint and whorehouse all under one roof. Oh, wow. That's what they called the Four Deuces, I guess. <laughs> the Four Deuces, yeah. Bootlegging alcohol, gambling, and a whorehouse. And something else. Now we're going to get into more of the crimes. Okay. So the big crackdown on racketeering in Chicago meant that Al Capone's first mobster job was to move operations to Cicero. With assistance of his brother Frank and Ralph, Capone infiltrated the government and police departments. Why are they going to put it that way? Infiltrated? Yeah, like he's fucking 007 in it here? <laughs> he he kind of was. <laughs> Between them, they took leading positions with Cicero City government in addition to running brothels, gambling clubs, and racetracks. Oh, so this is like when they bought out the... They were literally yeah. like... They, they bought out all the security guard... Or yeah, basically you just go up to a cop and you're like, Hey, uh, you know that murder I committed? Uh, I'll give you $38. Maybe I didn't do it. And the cops were like, Absolutely, mister! It's pretty great. Uh, Capone was famous for kidnapping his opponent's election workers and threatening everyone who voted with violence. So as soon as he went up to vote, Capone and his guys were there being like, you better not fucking vote for Jamie. Which is just insane that he could do this. He eventually won office in Cicero using this technique because he just scared the shit out of everyone. They were like, fine, no shit. You can have it. His brother Frank had been killed in the shootout with Chicago's police force the day before he was elected. Damn. The so, day of my election. Yeah, you come to me on the day of my election. <laughs> Capone always prided himself on keeping his temper under wraps. And fellow hood, Jack Guzik, <laughs> more awesome names, was assaulted by a small-time thug. And Jack was like one of Capone's boys. Like, really, really close. And he was just assaulted by this really tiny-ass dude that no one knew. Capone tracked the guy down and shot him dead in the middle of a bar. Okay, fair enough. That was the one time he traveled by day to go and kill this guy in a bar. Due to the lack of witnesses, Capone got away with the murder. Lack of witnesses? That sounds like a lot of bullshit. You know what? I think he paid him. Probably. I'm pretty sure he paid them off. It's like, yo, in this bar. Because it was a crowded yeah, bar. see shit. And he walked in and shot him. And everyone else was like, who did it? Capone? I, I didn't see shit. That's kind of the attitude of New York at this time. Is I didn't see shit. I didn't hear shit. I am nothing and no one. Okay. The publicity surrounding the case gave him a notoriety that he had never had before. So he became way more famous after this happened. Because everyone, they were following him like he's Princess Diana at this point. 
After the attempted assassination of Capone's friend Johnny Torrio, the guy he's been working on partners with, the frail man left his legacy of nightclubs, whorehouses, gambling dens, breweries, and speakeasies to Capone. To, oh, so he, he went to go so be Torrio a So retired. Someone tried to kill Torrio and he said, fuck it, I'm out. And, and he, he gave went, everything to Capone. I'm guessing he went to bookkeeping and went to like his local... <laughs> that's that's the only two options. Reading club. Yeah, that's it. You, you're either a bookkeeper or you're a whorehouse gambler and prostitute. <laughs> Prostituter. <laughs> I'm a prostitutor. Prosecuting and Capone's newfound status saw him moving his headquarters to the luxurious Metropole Hotel as part of his personal crusade to become more visible in court celebrities. Huh. So yeah, he just yeah he just wants to be known by everyone. Court celebrities? I think that's what means known by everyone? So I the, think that's more like, fuck the, sh- the pretty ones. I don't know, but... This next quote, uh, he he loved fraternizing with the press and being seen at places like the opera. <laughs> Which is weird for a mob boss, who everyone knows is a mob boss, just to go to the opera, and everyone's like, yeah, okay. He was different from a lot of gangsters who avoided publicity. He Publicity. <laughs> publicity. He always dressed super sharp, he was always in the suit. And a lot of gangsters didn't do that at the time. Hmm. He was the first one to actually do that. Because most people, they didn't do it. They thought, why the fuck do I have to dress up to impress you? And Capone was like, spotlight on me! And then all his gang dressed up real nice. Yeah. Like, yeah, hey, we gotta yeah. dress up real nice. The kid gang, you look at real He making us look like assholes. Yeah. He set out to be viewed as a respectable businessman and pillar of the community. Is he Trump? <laughs> well, he might be, considering that his next mission involved bootlegging whiskey. With the help of his old friend, Frankie Yale, in New York. Remember him? Yeah. Al set out to smuggle huge quantities into Chicago. Yeah. Like trucks and trucks and trucks loads. Yeah, that's, it's, it's kind of interesting on the Canadian side, too. It is insane how much they actually smuggled. Yeah. The, the events that followed would lead... I'm sorry. The events that followed would become known as the Adonis Club Massacre. Oh. Where Capone had Yale's enemies brutally attacked during a Christmas party. Oh. Which is rough. I mean, yeah. Capone's bootlegging whiskey trail from Chicago to New York was making him rich, but an incident involving Billy McSwiggin, <laughs> the best name. Come again? Billy McSwiggin. All right. That's his actual name. Okay. Known as the Hanging Prosecutor, was to prove a major setback for the unassailable gangster. McSwiggin was mistakenly shot and killed by Capone's henchmen during a shootout between rivals outside a bar. So, yeah, McSwiggin, he kind of had Capone at him on the payroll, and then Capone's guys were like, ah, shit! And they accidentally shot him. What? During a big shootout at this bar. Hey. Capone was blamed. They thought Capone shot him. But once again, due to lack of evidence, he escaped the rest. <laughs> so, all the reports say that he kind of accidentally shot McSwiggin, but there's another story of this that I read where he, where McSwiggin was stealing money from Capone. Damn. And he just used this as an excuse to kill him. And he was known as the hanging prosecutor, so he was kind of a good person to have on your payroll. <laughs> but anyway, he escaped the rest because, again, lack of evidence, which I, I don't know what evidence means back then. <laughs> he goes to the judge and he's like, you didn't see nothing. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. I guarantee it. The murder was followed by this huge outcry against gangster violence. Finally, everyone's like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Is this where he gets arrested? And after that, no, not yet. No. 
After that, the police took out their frustrations out by constantly raiding his whorehouses and gambling dens. Raiding or, or like, raiding? Raiding. Like, they'd break in there. Oh, it sounds like you're saying raiding. Like, five stars on Yelp. <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> this is the best whorehouse I've ever been to. <laughs> they were constantly raiding as an intruding in his whorehouses and gambling dens. Capone went into hiding for three months during the summer. Hmm. But eventually he took a huge risk and gave himself up to Chicago police because he was like fuck it I'm done hiding he go back to bookkeeping <laughs> boy I back to bookkeeping it proved to be the right decision as authorities did not have enough evidence to charge him damn because he was never there he was always hiring guys to be there okay so once again they just let him go and he's made a mockery of the police system at this point ah. like the police are pissed because they know he's doing this shit, but there's no evidence. <laughs> Ironically, Capone took on the role of peacemaker, appealing to the other gangsters to tone down their violence. Huh. Which I didn't I didn't know he did that, but that's kind of cool. He was like, everyone calm down, alright? I'm going to keep it low. Stop yeah. it. He even managed to broker an amnesty between rival gangsters, and for two months, there was no deaths, recording to gang violence at all. Okay. But Chicago was firmly in the grip of gangsters, and Capone appeared beyond the reach of the law. So eventually he just stopped even trying to appease the law. After He kind of, yeah. He was let go, and then he was like, I'm sorry, I'll make everything nice. And then two months later he was like, meh, fuck it. Somewhat ironically, it was the pen pushers from the tax office who were to pose the greatest threat to the gangsters' bootlegging empires. <laughs> Bookkeepers. That's what fucked them up. Oh. These, these bookkeepers, they're the real heroes. It was May 1927. The Supreme Court ruled that a bootlegger had to pay income tax on his illegal bootlegging. Isn't that fucked up? I'll repeat the sentence because yeah, it I bears repeating. <laughs> ruled that the bootlegger had to pay income tax on his illegal bootlegging business. Isn't that the dumbest shit? <laughs> With such a ruling, it wasn't long before the small special intelligence unit of the IRS under Elmer Irie. That's the guy that brought it Capone down. Elmer Irie. <laughs> Everyone named Elmer just deserves an award. <laughs> he was able to go after Capone. Capone left for Miami with his wife and son, which he had. They never brought him up until right now. <laughs> All right. So I guess he has a wife and son. This gave Elmer Irie his chance to document Capone's income and spending. But Capone was clever. Every transaction he made was on a cash basis, so there's no paper trail. Okay. The only exception was the tangible assets of the Palm Island estate, which was evidence of a major source of income. Really? So anytime he bought anything, it was cash. But he, his whole house was fucking like a mansion. But he has no source of income, which is super suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Not enough to charge him, apparently, but he's still like, I wonder... Another, another thorn in the side for Capone was Frank Yale. Once a powerful associate, as you know, he was involved in the shooting earlier, he was now seen as the main instigator of the disruptions to Capone's whiskey business. Capone's whiskey business? That just sounds fun. One Sunday afternoon, Yale met his end with the first use of a Tommy gun ever. So, yeah. Yet met his end, so he just died? He died, yeah. Capone shot him with a Tommy gun. And that's the first time that the gangsters started using Tommy guns. Damn. It's to kill Yale. And on that note, it's time to talk about a little thing called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Oh, yeah. All right. 
<laughs> you know I've about heard this, this a little? I've heard about it a little bit, yeah. It is not fun. <laughs> okay. More great names in this, though. Al Capone also had to deal with the rival gangster Bugs Moran and his Northsiders gang. Northsiders? Who the fuck? They, they don't name their kid Bugs. That was like, no. he's like, I gotta come up with a cool gang name here. They're like, you Bugs? know what I think you look like? You, you kind of look like a bug. And he's like, yeah, that's right, I'm a Bugs now. All creatures fear the bug. <laughs> and even worse, the Northside gang. No. Northside? It doesn't, how do you even do hand gestures for that? <laughs> I don't know. Break your fingers. Yeah, damn. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they were doing gang signs at this point. Probably but not. they were wearing real nice suits. They had been a threat for years. Moran had even once tried to kill Capone's colleague, a friend named Jack McGurn. <laughs> did you say that right? I did. Jack McGurn. Okay. The decision by Capone and McGurn to avail themselves of Moran was to lead one of the most infamous gangland massacres in history, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Okay. On Thursday, February 14th, 1929, at 10.30 a.m., so specific, Bugs Moran and his gang were lured into a bootlegger in this garage to buy some whiskey. McGurn's men would be waiting for them, dressed in stolen police uniform. The idea being that they would stage a fake raid, and McGurn, like Capone, made sure he was far away and he checked into a hotel with his girlfriend. McGurn fucking left. He was smart. When McGurn's men saw... Thought they saw Bugs Moran. They got into their police uniforms and drove over to the garage in a stolen police car. The bootleggers, caught in the act, lined up against the wall. McGurn's men took the bootleggers' guns and opened fire with two machine guns, killing all of them. Immediately. The bootleggers or the bootlegger men? So the McGurn's boys, basically what they did is they rolled up in police uniforms on McGurn's boys and they were like, oh shit, we're caught. Everyone against the wall. Pulled out a Tommy gun. They killed all of McGurn's boys. Who? The Al Capone, Capone guys? Yeah. Capone killed Damn. all of them in one go. That's a lot. They opened fire with two machine guns. All the men except Frank Gusenberg were killed outright in cold blood. Which is just rough. Ugh. The plan appeared to go brilliantly except for one major detail. Bugs Moran wasn't there. He was in a hotel with his girlfriend. Bang. And the whole point was to kill Bugs. <laughs> Moran had seen the police car and took off, not wanting to be caught up in the raid. Even though Al Capone was conveniently in Florida, the police and the newspapers knew who had staged the massacre. Immediately, like, man, Al Capone, obviously. St. Valentine's Day Massacre became a national media event, immortalizing Capone, Capone, sorry, as the most ruth, words are hard. As the most ruthless, feared, and smartest, and elegant of gangland bosses. I don't know if elegant, just killing a bunch of dudes, but okay, sure. Even while powerful forces were... Um, what? That's not even a word. That's autocorrect. Let me see. Amassing? I don't know. Where is it? It's near the bottom. Well, most powerful... Yeah, we're amassing against. It's like growing in numbers. I honestly thought I spelled something wrong. <laughs> Just because it's got ass in it doesn't mean you spelled it wrong. <laughs> That's how you know it was me. Where was I? Even the most powerful forces were amassing against him. Capone indulged in one last bloody act of revenge, killing two of his silicon colleagues who he believed had betrayed him. Capone invited his victims to a scrumptious banquet. 
actually... God damn it, the fucking adjective right there. It actually says scrumptious. This is what Stephen King was trying to prevent. Yeah. <laughs> he brutally pulverized them with a baseball bat. Why can't it just say, like, pulverized? Like, you see... This is, like... Uh, you can't, sorry. like, delicately pulverize. No, exactly. Like, what Stephen King wrote about in his own writing thing is that the adjectives like that are, are not really... They don't do anything. They're redundant. When you pulverize someone, you're not doing it... Like you said, you're not doing it delicately. You don't have to say brutally pulverized. You already know it's brutal. Yeah. Like, yeah, whatever. I'll write them an angry letter. Yeah, you bet. In a <laughs> fucking quill. And now we're going to get into uh, Capone's arrest. Uh, so am I uh, Am I um, correct in, a, in thinking that Capone had something to do with the Underground Railroad in, uh, in Moose Jaw too? Um, I don't think so. There is a tunnels, a tunnel system. In I only know of one oh, underground railroad. Maybe that's why. That's a slave thing. Uh, no, not the. This is later. <laughs> in Moose Jaw, I think it was Al Capone actually. Not one thousand percent sure, but in Moose Jaw there was this tunnel system, um, and I think it was where whiskey dis- was distilled because. Oh yeah. Yep. It was a, and then the the railroad took the whiskey to probably to where he was Al indirectly Capone. involved in that. Probably. He was buying whiskey from them, but I mean, he yeah. was never directly, yeah. I think there's a thing where it says that he went there once. Because um, I, w- I went, I don't know why we were in Moose Jaw, we were going to my, my cousin's house and we had to drive through it and we're like, why did I found that? There's nothing else in Saskatchewan. And so... Yeah, we're making good time, aren't we? We stopped there. Yeah. Where you are we got at? lots of time. You got lots of time. Oh, yeah, okay. 25 minutes. Oh, cool. I can probably so, finish. Um, yeah, there's something about... I remember hearing them say that there was a, like this ballroom and, and where... Al Capone supposedly stayed in this ballroom and whatnot. Oh, there's a lot of places like that, especially in the Chicago area, where like Al Capone stayed in this hotel and it's all yeah. a fucking scam. But I mean, that's way out in Saskatchewan, so I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, on to Al Capone's arrest. Yeah, his activities started attracting the attention. Of, oh well, started really? Yeah, just now, right <laughs> after the two big massacres. They're like, oh, maybe we should do something. And you know who the guys thought we should do something is Mr. Herbert Hoover, <laughs> a.k.a. President Hoover, who in March 1929 asked Andrew Mellon, his Secretary of Treasury, quote, have you got this fellow Capone yet? I want that man in jail. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good quote. <laughs> I mean, most people did, so I don't know why it's revolutionary, but sure. Mellon set out against the necessary evidence to prove income tax evasion and to amass enough evidence to prosecute Capone successfully for prohibition violations. So I guess prohibition was legal to some extent, like alcohol bootlegging. It had to be illegal to some extent, but he was doing it in mass quantities, so it was illegal. Yeah. Elliot Ness, a dynamic... This guy deserves a fucking award. Elliot Ness is amazing. Okay. He's a dynamic young agent with the U.S. Prohibition Bureau... He was charged with gathering the evidence of prohibition violators in general. He wasn't even put on Capone. He was just set on. He assembled a team of young men and made extensive use of wiretapping technology. While there was doubt that Capone could successfully be prosecuted for prohibition violations in Chicago, the government was certain it should get Capone on tax evasion. If anything, it's going to be tax evasion. So they started really honing in on tax evasion. May 1929, Capone went into a gangsters, in quotes, gangsters conference in Atlantic City. Is it a conference for those? I guess. <laughs> it's like Comic-Con, but for gangsters. <laughs> Gangster conference! 
Check out my new Tommy gun I got. <laughs> he probably was like, hey guys, you've been using these Tommy guns? They're fucking awesome. <laughs> Afterwards, he saw a movie in Philadelphia. I don't Why? know what movie. Why is that important to the story? Because when he was leaving the sim- cinema, he was arrested and imprisoned for carrying a concealed weapon. Oh, simma. The simma. A mimimi. Capone was soon incarcerated in the Eastern Penitentiary, where he stayed until March 6th. March 16th, 1930. So there's a, there's a few cool things about that one, actually. Um, that was a super weird prison, the Eastern Penitentiary. Yes, it was. I don't know if you've got anything about it on there. I have a little bit, I believe. Um, I'll finish this. There's a few st- uh, prison riots and stuff. Yeah. He had... His room is still the same as it was back then. Oh, yeah. They didn't they, change anything. Yeah, they haven't touched it. It's, it's got, like, a chair in there and, like... It looks like, like where a desk. You, yeah, it looks like where you'd keep a mob boss. Yeah. It's pretty great. He's like, well, if I'm going to be in prison, can I at least have some books to read and a chair and a bed? And, and a Tommy gun? And I mean, oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah, he's arrested for carrying a concealed weapon. He's in Eastern Penitentiary until 1930. He was later released from jail for good behavior. Oh, good for him. Yeah, isn't that great? But he was put on the America's Most Wanted list, which publicly... What? Which publicly... Which publicly humiliated the mobster who so desperately wanted to be regarded as a worthy and man of the people. So yeah, he was destroyed by this. Because he was still had this I want to be a pillar of the community idea. For some reason. He's a psychopath. Elmer Irie undertook a cunning plan to use undercover agents posing as hoods to infiltrate Capone's organization. Okay. So That's this, pretty lit. That's pretty bold at the time, because a lot of people in Capone's organization just got killed. Just for... Did I mention that? A lot of people that Capone was working for, if they were, like, acting all weird or being twitchy, he'd be like, nah, he's a cop, kill him. Huh. Alright. He was brutal. The operation took nerves of steel, and despite an informer ending up with a bullet in his head... I don't think it's right to say ended up with a bullet in his head. He was killed by Capone's guys. He didn't just end up with a bullet in his head. Who? <laughs> how did that get there? Funny enough, right where he got shot the day he was supposed to testify against Capone. Oh. Isn't that a weird coincidence, wow. huh? Elmer managed to amass... There it is again. And I know it's a real word because Brandon told me. <laughs> Elmer managed to amass enough evidence to throw his detectives, posing as gangsters, to try Capone in front of a jury. So he's finally in front of a jury. With two vital bookkeepers, Leslie Shumway and Fred Reese. These names don't don't fail to... Fred Reese is like, okay, but... It's fine. But Leslie Shumway? Leslie Shumway. Yeah. I don't know. Not, they can't all be winners. Especially in Chicago in the 1930s. <laughs> Just no good ones. Anyway, sorry. Leslie Shumway and Fred Reese, who had once been in Capone's employment... Now safely under police protection, it was only a matter of time before Capone's days as public enemy number one. Hell yeah. We're over. Public enemy number one, maybe. He actually was. Damn. I don't laugh. I mean, for a good reason. Yeah. He fucking... Yeah. He's, he's horrible. But cool. He's really cool. He's got a cool story. I like his story, but yeah. I mean, I don't approve all the murder. <laughs> I, Just Eric dude. Nielsen is anti-murder. You heard it here first, folks. Furthermore, Agent Elliot Ness, angered by Capone for the murder of a friend, managed to enrage Capone by exposing prohibition violations to ruin his bootlegging industry. 
So one guy just collapsed it because he was pissed. Millions of dollars of brewing equipment was seized or destroyed. Thousands of gallons of beer and alcohol had been dumped into... And the largest brewery in Chicago was closed. Hmm. And now we get into his trial. Which is... This this guy's whole life is a great story. All right. On March 13th, 1931, that's almost a year later, a federal grand jury met secretly on the government's claim that in 1924, Al Capone had a tax liability of $32,488.81. Hold on. I Are you going to do the conversion? I'm going to do the inflation calculation. I would love to know that. All right. Because I know I know it's a lot more today. But, I mean, back then, that's fucking huge. 32,488 dollars and 81 cents. So, what year was it? That was 1931. What's a pumper in the old calculator here? Uh, 32,488.81. Catchy song. All about Capone's tax liability. Oh, right. That's $527,000. Yeah. So it went. It's a uh, inflation of a thousand five hundred twenty-two percent. Just so you know, from from nineteen thirty-one to two thousand seventeen. Just for anyone who's wondering what the math there was. Huh. So if yeah, if something were to cost like if it was thirty-two thousand dollars or whatever, thirty-two thousand five hundred. Thirty-two thousand. It would be five hundred and twenty-seven thousand. That's a lot. That's a shit ton. Yeah. Even thirty-two thousand's a lot. Yeah. The jury returned to an indictment against Capone. Indictment? Indictment. No, it's definitely indictment. It's indictment, I know it is. <laughs> I ain't no bitch. I'm a bitch, though. <laughs> an indictment against Capone. <laughs> the jury returned an indictment against Capone that was kept secret until the investigation was complete. For the years 1925 to 1929. The grand jury later returned to an indictment. Damn it. Every single time I see that word, I'm like, indictment. Indictment against Capone with 22 counts of tax evasion, totaling over $200,000 in 1931 money. So, oh, so we're going to do that again? You want to? Sure. Let's. $200,000. Let me just pull up the old Google here. Oh, Google it up. <laughs> $200,000. This is going to be a lot. It's going to be so much. I'm, I should have done these. 3245000 Jesus. Yeah. 22 counts of tax evasion, which totaled that. Capone and 68 members of his gang were charged with 5,000 separate violations. Which is... Wow. I mean, that's probably correct. But 5,000 different violations. Of what? Sorry? They don't say. They just say he was charged with... The 68 members of his gang were charged with 5,000 separate violations. Oh, so like in total they just violated a lot. A whole shit shit. ton. Okay. The legal term is a shit ton. Yeah, I agree. These income tax cases took precedence over the prohibition violations. Fearing that witness would be tampered... Sorry, fearing that witnesses would be tampered with, and having doubts that the 60-year statute of limitations... Would be upheld by the Supreme Court, a deal was secretly struck. It's funny because I accidentally cut off the S, so it says, A deal was secretly struck between Capone's <laughs> lawyers and government prosecutors. Same. 
Capone was to plead guilty to a lighter charge and would receive between two and five years in prison. Okay. So that's the deal his lawyer gave him. However, when the word got out, the press were pissed. Because they know he's been pulling shit for years. And he deserves way longer than two to five years in prison. Mm. And they saw it as just a blatant whitewash. Yeah, fair enough. The overconfident Capone, who believed he could receive less than five years in prison, just out of the blue, became less cocky when he realized that his plea bargain was now null and void. Oh. <laughs> so, so yeah, he's he's getting fucking charged now because this whole thing's fucked. On October 6, 1931, 14 detectives escorted Capone to the federal court building. He was dressed in a conservative blue serge suit Ooh, without yeah. his usual pinky ring and gaudy jewelry. That's another thing I didn't cover. He loved jewelry. <laughs> oh, he had so Fair many enough. rings and shit. Ugh. I lost my spot. I got cut up. Pinky it was inevitable. <laughs> yeah, he had a pinky ring. That's what he was known for. All right. It was inevitable that Capone's henchmen prosecuted a list of jury members to bribe. <laughs> so they were making a list of... Yeah, it's crazy. But unbeknownst to Capone, the authorities had been aware of the plot the whole time. Well, when Judge Wilkinson entered the courtroom, he suddenly demanded that the jury be exchanged with another in the same building. Capone and his lawyer were shocked. The fresh jury were even sequestered at night so that Capone couldn't get to them. Oh. So they, <laughs> they're going through a lot of shit. It's pretty great. Those poor jury members. I'd be scared shitless. They're like, anyway, you're going to be on uh, Al Capone's jury? I'd be like, ah, ah, shit. No, yeah. thank you. The whole jury was paid. And then they all show up and they're like, no jury. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, what happened to the money that they were paid with? Those guys they, must be... I guess they didn't get it. They didn't. No, they would have got it because they would have been paid beforehand. So they probably oh, were just yeah. like, "Well, free money." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, "Whatever." Now we're not criminals. How he asked, could Capone possess so much property, vehicles, and even diamond belt buckles, when his defense lawyers professed their client had no income? Okay. After nine hours of discussion on October seventeenth, nineteen thirty-one, the jury found Capone guilty of several counts of tax evasion. That's it. Only tax evasion. Yeah. Judge Wilkerson sentenced him to 11 years, $50,000 in fines, and court costs of another $30,000. Bail was denied. Fair enough. And now we're moving on to uh, his life in prison and his death, which is pretty short, honestly. Yeah, it, he, he died in prison, didn't he? Yeah, he did. In 1934, Al Capone was moved from a prison in Atlanta to the infamous Alcatraz in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. His days of privileges in prison were gone in contact with the outside world, even through letters and newspapers, was minimal. So, yeah, you were talking about how in his other prison he had, like, a chair and a desk. Yeah, yeah. And he could kind of walk around. Alcatraz, they... Alcatraz was it, Yeah, there's nothing good in Alcatraz. Damn. His sentence was finally reduced to six and a half years for good behavior. After his release How from... How good Al- was his behavior? He was a real good prisoner. He was in Alcatraz? Like, goddamn. You know what? I lied. He didn't die in prison. Oh. After his release, Capone slowly deteriorated at his Palm Island palace. May, his wife, his little Irish girl wife, was struck by him. What? I'm sorry. May, his wife, struck <laughs> stuck by him. <laughs> That's a lot different. That's very different. That was actually quite a sweet ending. That he beat the shit out of her. <laughs> his wife stuck by him until January 25th, 1947, 
when he died of cardiac arrest at age 48. He was a bit of a big guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so he got out of jail. Oh, no, he got out of jail right after 34. So I guess he would have got out of jail in 1940-ish. And then seven years later, he died. And thus ends the tale of Mr. Al Capone. Damn, man. Yeah. Al Capone was a bad ass. Hell yeah. I mean, I love him. He's got guess a, what the time was. What? 40 minutes. Right on the dot, huh? Yeah. Yeah. We're I, thought, good. I was we're worried good that this. was going to be a two-parter. No, we're good at this. Clearly. Nailed it. I learned new words. Like in Dickamick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. In Mick. Um, so, that was that. That was a good one. You got nothing more on it? Because he was interesting. Yeah. I wish I had more. I really want to know about your moose prison whatever. Oh, the like moose jaw thing? I don't know anything about that. And all the research I found never mentioned it. Um, so if you want to Google it up real quick. We I'll still got five minutes quick, to burn. Yeah. Um, Google it up, fam. I'm always condoning with Googling up. I'll just play with Satan while you're... Yeah. All right. What is this actually from? What is Satan from? Um... So, you're going to think I'm a huge nerd, but there's this thing called Warhammer 40k. Oh, I know what that is. So, yeah. I already think you're a huge nerd. We just did a two-parter oh. on the Vinky. Don't break him. He's expensive. What? Yeah, they're real expensive. Why? It's a yeah, so there's um, <laughs> this tourist thing, I guess. Um, I don't know a lot about Capone except for everything I just said. <laughs> I know his whole life story, but I don't know. I never heard of this moose... What did you say it was? Moose prison? Yeah, so there's a Chicago c- connection one, and there's like a... There's a, a Chinese history one. Oh, too. yeah, where go Capone? The... So go Chicago. The the Chicago one, uh, 1929. Um, In my opinion, there are... It might not be real. It, I think there was just people who, like... Um, as far as Chicago goes, there's only three things I would ever talk about. The band Chicago, so, um, Henry Howard <laughs> Holmes, and Al Capone. And we already did Al Capone. I think... Yeah, it might not be like a real thing for that. I don't know. Because do, I just remember doing that. They do that a lot with serial killers. Or anyone that kills, they mm. do... Yeah, they'll be like, this is where Charles Manson had his last meal. You know what we should do? Um, we should do a whole... Like a... Uh, Oh, our next next thing. Yeah. Pull up a whole list of people who spent time in Alcatraz. Oh, yeah. And just do, like, a whole Alcatraz thing. Absolutely. That'd be great. That'd be great. People who were in Alcatraz, some of the, like, the real fucked up people who were in, like, that bottom layer. The worst of the worst. Yeah. The bottom layer of Alcatraz is, like, spooky. I went to a prison in uh, Arizona. It's called a Yuma Territorial Prison. And they have a list of all the inmates that were there and what they were charged with. It is the coolest shit I've ever read. <laughs> One guy was there for like he stole a horse and then killed four people while riding the horse. Damn, is he like Red Dead Redemption? Yeah, basically. God damn, there were like seventeen. I think it was like seventy girls and oh, one hundred twenty-eight men. Ugh. So it was a male-female prison. Look up Yuma Territorial Prison if you want to have a good time. Okay. Or don't. Well, we'll do it. That, that's the... Alcatraz. We'll like we gotta do it. Alcatraz. We'll, we'll collect the whole list of people from Alcatraz. Yeah. Um, do a little bit of like a history on Alcatraz. I, I'm I'm enjoying this. Just Even just sitting back and listening. Talking is good, too. This is great. The okay. sitting back is way easier, huh? Yeah. It's definitely... <laughs> you just gotta be like, oh, wow. Yeah. 
comment every once in a while. Uh, visit us up on our uh, www.thenarratives.ca. Yeah. And um, we've got art up there. Well, I don't, but he does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't do art. We've got, uh, just just check it out if you want, if you feel like uh, following us up. You can uh, have our contact center. There's a link to all of our social media, our Facebook, which is uh, under the same name, and our Instagram, and our Twitter. I don't know if I'm going to make Snapchat. I don't know if it's worth it. Let me nah, know if you think it's not. worth it. No. Let that Instagram. decide. Yeah, uh, if you guys have any thoughts or uh, any, any questions or any Or if you know comments. of someone in Alcatraz that is, like, the baddest of the bad. Ooh, hit me up. Yeah, let us know. Anyone. Like, ah, man, Alcatraz is such a cool uh, thing. I love Alcatraz. If you have any complaints, then uh, Eric will personally respond to you with his... Oh, yes, uh, of course, my giant quill. Yeah. His quill and pen. One more thing before we go. My uh, grandpa, last time I was down there, he, he gave me this padlock. And it's, like, bigger than my two fists. It is it so fucking heavy. Okay. Yeah, these are clobbering fists. <laughs> and I picked it up, and I'm like, this is cool, where'd you get it? And he's like, oh yeah, um, I bought it at Alcatraz. It was an actual lock from one of the prison Damn. cells in Alcatraz. And it is so heavy. Maybe you could bring it in. I would if I could. Oh, maybe you could. <laughs> it is like so old, if you touch it, it'll just evaporate. Alright, fair enough. Plus it's at my grandparents in like, so, uh, Argentina. So. Y- you might not always get to know what's coming up next, but uh, this week you do. So. Yeah, I wasn't going to spill the beans on Al Capone this week, but I gave you like Alphonse, you know. Yeah. Good so, old Alphonse Capone. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, bang bang ski ski again let us know whatever you want to let us know um, if you if you have a, another person that you want to hear us talk about we'll definitely chew up if you have any comments we'll, we'll feature you we'll, we'll do whatever we can bye thanks for listening bye 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 don't forget to make some lasagna tonight